Well, good morning, church. Early service, people. Well, it's beginning to look a a lot like Christmas around here. Uh, I walked in on Monday morning, and and DJ and Brandon are witnesses of this. Uh, I walked in Monday morning, and I looked at all the decorations, and inside, I kind of just did an eye roll. I just wasn't feeling Christmas yet, not because they're... They're not beautiful decorations. I mean, Susan and, and everyone, Susan Newcomer and everyone uh, who helped out last Sunday, it looks amazing. But I walked in on Monday and I was like, ah, we're doing this, I guess. And uh, those of you who know me know I love Thanksgiving. I, I live for Thanksgiving. I like the, the food, the football, the friends and family, the Macy's Thanksgiving parade, the pumpkin pie. I love everything about Thanksgiving. And I was like, it's not, we haven't even had our Thanksgiving turkey yet, you know, and we got all these decorations, but I am confident today that we can keep that theme of Thanksgiving and uh, keep Christ at the center as we begin this uh, Christmas series, this Advent series. Uh, by the way, as uh, you need to know that as the week went on, though, as I uh, passed the beautiful nativity in the, in the lobby and uh, as the weather turned colder this weekend and I had a peppermint mocha on Friday, and I saw a, <laughs> saw a snowflake on Friday night. I'm starting to feel it. I'm starting to feel it just a little bit. So uh, let's, uh, let's begin. Let's go for it today. The core of the Christmas message is that God became a man while remaining fully God. Let me get set up here. John 1.14 says it this way. The word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, we call this the incarnation of Christ, God becoming man. And as God became man in his humanity, he can relate to our struggles and our weaknesses. But as fully God in his deity, he teaches, he redeems, he atones, he saves. He bridges the chasm between God and fallen humanity. So today we're beginning our our Advent series. We're calling it Bearing His Name. Uh, During his incarnate life, Jesus exemplified the full range of the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus not only lived a life full of love, joy, peace, and all those things, but he himself was the embodiment of it. He was the embodiment of love. He is joy. He is peace. He is patience. He is kindness, he is goodness, he is faithfulness, he is self under control. And we as humans can exhibit these beautiful traits as a reflection of his life. We can be loving because he is love. We can be joyful because he is joy. That's what we're going to talk about today. I don't know about you, but I I love fruit. (laughs) I have this memory of uh, my brother and I, we were probably like nine or ten years old, getting on our bikes and going to this abandoned house right off the highway, Highway 28 in Norwalk, Iowa. And uh, we didn't go inside the house because we were too scared, uh, but we kind of like looked around the property and we found this strawberry patch. And I don't know, we may have broken a few laws or rules, but we uh, ended up going back home, getting some containers, and picking these strawberries that were ready to be picked. And uh, we took them home and we washed them and we put these strawberries on our on our ice cream, we put these strawberries on our Cheerios, you know, it, was just, it just made everything better. I love fruit. I also love cake. But I do not like fruitcake. Anybody else with me? I do not like fruitcake. Please, don't send me a fruitcake this Christmas. 
Now I'm probably going to get one. <laughs> but we're going to talk about fruit today. And Jesus talked a lot about fruit. He said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will what? Let's read it together. You will bear much fruit. And then this is a good reminder. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Today we're going to look at the first two fruits, love and joy, as listed in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, where it says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things, it says. Against such there is no law. I love that phrase. You know, Paul writes this while under Roman law, under a system of law that was pervasive, and he says there's a lot of laws about a lot of stuff. But, it, but when it comes to these things, there's no law against them. You know, imagine, you know, somebody saying, officer, arrest that man. You know, he's spreading way too much joy. Or I'm going to have to fine you because your patience is killing me. <laughs> or 90 days for uh, being kind, you know. Crazy, right? But Paul's point here is that uh, this fruit, it's the... Uh, it's nutritious, it's sweet, it's life-giving, it's the end product of the process. And I think Paul, living in the Mediterranean basin, had some really good fruit. And he's saying, look at this as the kind of expression of God's grace in your life. The fruit of the Spirit is the result in your life and in my life of God at work in us. So let's start with the first fruit, love. Love is kind of like the mother of all fruits. Uh, when I was uh, preparing for this sermon, I, I just typed love at the top of my Word document. And then the flashing cursor was kind of intimidating because I'm like, what, what? Like, love. It's like a huge topic, a huge theme. You know, where, where does it start? Where does it end? And uh, then I was thinking, um, wait a second, I know where love starts. And you know where love starts. For God so loved. It starts with God. God is love. Several weeks ago, DJ, uh, Pastor DJ taught on this. Uh, he was uh, talking about the in, up, in, and out. He was talking about the in, and he was unpacking God's love, kind of did a deep dive into God's love. You remember the Hebrew word, the word that's used in the Old Testament to describe God's love? You remember that word? Hesed. Yes, hesed, and uh, he was talking about that and, and how that word is translated as agape in the New Testament. And if you, didn't, if you weren't here that Sunday and you, you didn't listen yet or watch, I would encourage you to watch and listen to that message. It's from October 23rd, I believe. Yeah, October 23rd. And uh, he, re he referred to or he defined hesed using Michael Card's definition. When the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. We came into this world looking for someone, looking for us, or looking at us. And when we came into this world, our eyes met God. He was looking at us, full of love, really unexpected. So if I was to like personalize and rewrite John 3.16 with that definition in mind, this is what it would read. For God so loved David Hakes, a man who did not expect or deserve anything from God. Because of all of his sin, just ask, just ask his family, his parents, his teachers, his friends, his wife. 
He was one bad dude who had nothing coming to, uh, nothing coming to him from a holy God. But then God so loved him and gave him his one and only son, Jesus. And he gave Dave redemption and gave him salvation and gave him forgiveness, gave him grace and mercy and kindness and hope, gave him a relationship with the God of the universe, gave him eternal life. This was unexpected. This was pure love, for God is love. So when we read in Galatians that we are to produce the fruit of love in our lives, this is it. This is the word agape, God's love. And you can define agape many different ways. Here's, I took a stab at it. An intentional, deep, and constant love of a perfect being toward entirely unworthy objects. Yes, this is, the, the bar is set high. This is God's type of love, perfect love. In uh, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul lays it out. Paul wrote a letter to the church in Corinth, and he's talking about all these uh, gifts of the Spirit, and he's like, some of you have teaching gifts, and some of you have prophetic gifts, and some of you have administrative gifts, and all of these are parceled out by the Holy Spirit according to Scripture. But then right in the middle of talking all about all of this, uh, he kind of drops this, this teaching about love, and we find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And if you have a Bible, you can go there uh, and follow along with me this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And he says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He's like, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love... I gain nothing. Love is pretty important, isn't it? Otherwise, what we're doing is a complete waste of time. And then he gets to verse four, and this is what you probably know by heart. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. You've probably heard that at weddings. You may have just tuned me out for the last 30 seconds because you know this really well. My prayer is that there would be something in this text that would speak to you today. Maybe an area in your own love for others that needs to grow. So we're going to slow down and take these one by one, the first thing that Paul talks about, the first way that he describes this, this agape, this, this type of God's love, he says, love is patient and kind. Love is patient, love is kind. It's patient. You know, Second Peter 3, uh, God is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. Love is patient. Love is kind. I won't tell, the, I won't tell the, the whole story, but in World War II, there were two trains that would stop for 10 minutes in this little town of North Platte, Nebraska. And women from 100 miles around had covenanted essentially that they would meet every troop train that came through, sometimes up to 32 trains a day. The troops were allowed to get off the train for 10 minutes. And there's a guy by the name of, of Bob Green who wrote a book on this called Once Upon a Town. 
where he went and he actually interviewed these, these veterans years later. And they're older men at this point. They're in their 80s. But when he would mention North Platte, Nebraska, these guys would start to weep. And he would ask them, you know, like, why, why are you crying? And they would say something like this, you know, here we were, 18 and 19 years old, on a train going across the country, and we got off for 10 minutes in this place that we had never been, with people that we had never met, and we walked in, and, and here were girls that looked like our sisters and our cousins, and women who looked like our mothers and our aunts, and for 10 minutes, they were kind to us. And we would, they would hug us and say, God bless you, soldier. We would get back on the train going to God knows where and not knowing if we would ever come back alive. But for 10 minutes in the middle of the day, for 10 minutes in the middle of the night, someone was kind to us. Astonishingly, this, this area, this community of only 12,000 people provided welcoming words and friendship and baskets of food and treats to more than 6 million GIs by the time the war ended. Love is patient. Love is kind. That's what love is. Here's what love doesn't do. It doesn't envy. You know, I want your stuff. I wish I was driving your car. I wish I had your job. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. Look at me. Look what I did. Look at all the amazing things our family did this weekend. Wow, we're great. It is not proud, right? I've got it all figured out. I have the answers. This doesn't apply to me. I have to win this argument. My way is the right way. I don't need your input. It is not proud. If we want to bear his name, and his name is love, if we want to bear his name, we have to drop pride in our lives. We have to humble ourselves because that's what Jesus did, Philippians 2, right? He humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Love is not proud. It does not dishonor others, right? It doesn't use people as a means to an end or for selfish gain. It it doesn't throw people under the bus. It is not self-seeking, You know, I'll find a way to get ahead of you, even if it means I have to push you down and climb over you to get what I want. All of these are sort of related, aren't they? Envy, boasting, pride, self-seeking. Love instead, love instead opens the door and says, after you. Someone said this, and it's always kind of stuck with me. I'm not sure who said it, but I love this quote. Uh, Can you help me out a little bit back there, please? It's not working. There we go. When you walk into a room, I love this. When you walk into a room, does your presence say, here I am? Or or when you walk into a room, does your presence say, there you are? I love that. We all know people who walk into a room, and it's all about them, right? Um, When you walk into your office, when when you walk into your house at the end of a workday, When you walk into a meeting, is it all about you or is it about the people that you're about to to hang out with? Uh, Shannon did this on on Wednesday. I was in uh, one of the rooms getting ready for staff meeting and Shannon comes in and she's like, how are you, Dave? You know, how's your day going? 
And, and I love that. I don't know if you did that, but I don't know why I just did that. But anyway, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was very much like, there you are. And, and I love that. Um, that's what love is. Love is also, it's not easily angered. What ticks you off? Some of you may have come in this morning really mad or really ticked off. Uh, maybe a family member just changed up your Thanksgiving plans on you last minute, and you're like, ah, love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Can we just admit, this is a, this is a tough one. If they do or say this one more time, that'll be the 10th time this month, you know. Some of you may be married to an elephant or have an elephant in your family, you know, uh, that just remembers everything. You know, do, you, do you remember what you did August 4th, 1992? Well, I sure do. Yeah. <laughs> and these people provide statistical evidence to back up their claims on certain faults of yours. But Paul says, nope, that's not love at all. Love keeps no record of wrongs, no tally marks, no filing cabinet. There need to be laws against that, right? That's not love. Paul continues, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Those are all the things that love doesn't do. It doesn't envy, doesn't boast, doesn't you know, delight in evil. So what does love do? Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this. He says it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. When you do a basic Bible study, they teach you, you know, you the first step is observation, and you're looking for repeated words or phrases. You notice any repeated words in, in verse 7 there? What is it? Always. To which we respond, really, Paul? Isn't that a little bit overboard? Like, always? You see, love bends. It leans into. It's always looking for the opportunity to give the other person the benefit of the doubt. It's always trying to protect the integrity of the relationship. Love always trusts. It always hopes, always perseveres. Always perseveres. I missed one, always protects. It always protects. I, when, uh, when I see this phrase, I think about, uh, I think about my mom. And uh, I think about the times that my mom would pick me up from music lessons or sports practices and we, we, we'd be, uh, she'd be driving, we'd be driving home. I'd be in the front seat, the front passenger seat. And when my mom drove, I had two seatbelts. I had the one that I would put on, and then, you know, she's driving. You know, have you ever experienced a second seatbelt? You know, that was my mom, always like, you know, the, the arm thing. And uh, I think I may have done that once or twice as well. Uh, it's in the genes. But it always, love always protects. It always trusts. This is a tricky one, I think. Because we have experienced um, people that have lost trust. We, we want to always assume the best. We don't always want to assume the worst. But sometimes we've been played, even in church, with all of the uh, sexual abuse that's happened in churches. You, you, you want to be in that spot where if you hear something about someone, your, your response is like, oh man, I'm not sure I believe that. I know that person. But as we've learned, we can't always say that. And the reason we can't always say that is because we're trying to trust people that are not perfect. We all sin. We all blow it. But love trusts. 
Love always hopes. Tomorrow's a new day. Try again tomorrow. Love always perseveres. And then Paul wraps up with the summary statement, love never fails. God's love toward you and me never fails. It's what we strive for in our love for others as well. And I don't know if you have a picture of this type of love. It's pretty amazing love. I'll give you a picture. Um, This is uh, a Renaissance artist from the late 1400s. We'll just call him Mr. G, because I don't know how to say his last name. (laughs) But Mr. G uh, painted this. This is uh, known as the, the father or the godfather and the child. And if you look closely at the picture, there's, there's something wrong with the grandpa's face. Uh, something wrong with his nose. It's a disease. There's benign tumors on it that make it swell. And here, this little boy with his hand on his grandpa's chest, looking up at his grandfather with love in his eyes. I think that's what love is. Looking past ugliness. Looking past deformities. We love others. We bear his name because God is love. 1 John 4, 7 through 11. Again, if you have a Bible or your phone, you can turn there. We're going to read all four of these verses. I love how John writes. He writes very simple. He's very clear. You, you, you never wonder what John means when he writes. And he says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another. And here's why. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. And he says the opposite. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And God didn't just announce it from the rooftops, from the mountaintops. Hey, world, I love you. But John says, no, he demonstrated his love. He showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world. Yikes. So that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Like This is the real thing. This is not counterfeit. This is not fake. This is real love. And it's not that we were shouting up to to God, hey, God, we love you. Would would you come down at Christmas time? That says, not that we loved God. We didn't give a rip about God. He did this on his own because he is love but that he loved us and he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, John's like, all right, lean in, friends. Since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. His love is brought to full expression in us. We bear the name of Christ. We bear his name. And he is a God of love. And that should impact how we love one another. The second fruit that we want to talk about real briefly, all right, don't worry, is joy. All right, that's a, that's a bright screen. Um, joy. When you read the Christmas story this season, I would encourage you to just pay attention to all of the, all of the different uh, um, expressions of joy and rejoicing and gladness that are found in the Christmas story. Here's a little sneak peek for you. Uh, This is uh, the angel talking to uh, Zechariah, uh, who was the father of John the Baptist. And the angel says, your son, John, will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. People are going to hear about your son being born, and they're going to go, oh, yeah, the Messiah is on his way. 
right? Because John is going to be the voice in the wilderness, you know, preparing the way for the Messiah. And people are going to rejoice because of your son's birth. And then this is uh, Elizabeth uh, talking to Mary when Mary went to go visit her. And Elizabeth, uh, John the Baptist's mother, she says, As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. <laughs> Again, Mary, the Messiah is on his way. And uh, I, it's too bad that that wasn't captured on an ultrasound or something. You know, like the, John leaping for joy, and Elizabeth is like, whoa, hold on, baby John. Woo! Aye, aye, aye. And then this is uh, the, um, the angels to the shepherds, right? The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news uh, uh, that will cause great joy for all the people. Like literally mega joy, great joy for all the people. This news, what is, what is happening right now in the city of Bethlehem, it is cause for celebration. And then the mysterious magi, they see the star and they're overjoyed. They're high-fiving each other. They are celebrating. We see the star. The Messiah has come. These two fruits, love and joy, are closely linked. Um, joy is this, uh, this extreme joy, a gladness, exaltation. Uh, it's this calm delight. And this is how love and joy are linked. And uh, DJ put some notes in our sermon series planning sheet. And he put this. <laughs> so DJ, you get credit for this point today. I could not say this any better. But here it is. Joy is the response of the heart to what? To God's act of love. We just talked about his love. Joy is the response in our heart to his love. We love because God is love and first loved us. We are joyful people because Jesus is joy. He has come to us. But this is a time of year where sometimes there's a lot of things that can steal our joy and rob us of our joy. Three things come to mind for, for me. One is uh, commercialism. You know, we did, a lot of us just get... Uh, wrapped up. We get wrapped up in all of the stuff that, you know, uh, happens at this time of year. You know, Costco is pushing this big snowman from August or September, whatever it was, you know, like buy this, do this. And we can get all caught up in that. And it can be a lot of fun at points. But at the end of it, sometimes we just don't have any joy in all of that stuff. Uh, our focus goes away from Christ and onto all the stuff of Christmas a lot of times, busyness can steal our joy. You know, a lot of us are just like, you know, we just say yes to all, you know, and our calendar just fills up, and we're just like checking off things, going from one activity, one party, one concert to another, you know, just busy, 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 and uh, at the end of this season, we're just like, okay, we did a lot of really cool things, but I'm not sure I have real joy. Family can rob us of our joy. This Thursday, you're going to be, or Friday, this, sometime this week, you might be with extended family. And, uh, you know, you might have some really high expectations going into it. And you'll probably be disappointed. Um, a lot of times, there's a lot of uh, dysfunction in families. Um, some of us might come face to face with our family's dysfunction this week. And that can rob us of our joy. Joy is uh, not something that is up one minute and down the next. It's not based on our circumstances. 
You know something that brings me joy? This is kind of goofy. Something that brings me joy? Uh, Scrub Daddy. Scrub Daddy brings me joy. (laughs) This is our Scrub Daddy, and uh, he's always smiling at me, even if I don't want to do dishes. Uh, But he's always, and this guy, let me tell you, he has been through a lot. (laughs) He has scrubbed things that are unimaginable in our kitchen, but he's still smiling, right? Some of you, some of us have been through a lot. (laughs) It was was goofy, wasn't it? Maybe I won't do that in the second service. All right. (laughs) All right, uh, so, you know, we need to be like Scrub Daddy. Like, we've been through a lot, but joy is not dependent on our circumstances. The stuff, that, the hard stuff that we go through, our joy is in Christ, who is the full embodiment of joy. By the way, um, I found this online this week. Uh, you can get, you can buy the Scrub Daddy. You can also get Sad Daddy. <laughs> so that might be uh, more of your style. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm more of a Sad Daddy person. Oh, man. Anyway, I want to encourage you to make the choice to rejoice. It is a choice. Joy is rooted in Christ. It's in him. He is the full embodiment of joy. Let's make the choice to rejoice. Uh, Would you stand with me as we pray? Jesus, our prayer is, is pretty simple today. We want to bear your name, and you are love, and you are joy. And as we begin this week of Thanksgiving, we are so thankful for your love, so grateful for your joy. Thank you for loving us when we didn't love you. And this week, this Thanksgiving week, I don't know what is ahead for us. I don't know what what situations we're going to find ourselves in. I don't know if we're going to be fighting traffic or fighting the crowds at, at the store or just You know, somebody's going to bring up some contentious piece of conversation, you know, on Thanksgiving. But Lord, may we enter this week full of love. May we be men and women that that are full of love and full of joy. Not because of our circumstances. They're not perfect. But you are, Jesus. Our joy and our love are rooted in you. So Lord, help us this week to bear your name well. In Jesus' name, amen.